0: Drives home the vacuousness of an art text, like having to dissect its every hollow carapace of a sentence. I once translated nearly thirty pages of an artist's manifesto, and still, for the life of me, was unable to picture not only what his work looked like, but what a, of what it consisted. Was it a video, an installation, fluxus performance? It ended up being a found object sculpture. The text was so far up its own abstract ass, it had entirely lost sight of the actual work, which I have come to understand is the entire point of an art text. The experience of translating such texts is best described as an attempt to delicately transpose the impossibly thin veneer of a nothing sentence into something that reads like a real sentence while preserving the crinkly emptiness it's wrapped around. Like picking up a snakeskin without crushing or bending it. At first glance, it looks like a snake. It preserves the anatomy of a snake. Head, scales, and tail are all in the right place and in the right order. But it is a thing that will collapse under the weight of the merest scrutiny. For example, behold. Most of my works have rolling, undulating surfaces in an attempt to divest the material of its transparency and present it in a dramatic visual form, an enticing satire that then finally appears as copious numbers of non-coercive surfaces and forms. I'm pretty sure I closed my eyes in ecstasy after laying that one to rest on the page, and in those moments, when I'm able to work things out just so, I can almost convince myself that I sort of, if not love, then at least like the text. It's not so bad, I just have to understand it on its own terms.
1: So that was um, an essay by Lina Munzer, L- Lina Munzer mm-hmm. uh, being read to you as usual by Marsha lynx Um This is episode 36 of the Bullock podcast. I'm Ursula Lindsay, and uh, we're starting out with this just utterly delightful um, trash talking essay that is called Trash Talk on Translating Garbage, and that was just published in the Paris Review. And that we pretty much loved every word of.
0: Yes, I actually corresponded on Twitter with a guy who said he was gonna get the entire thing tattooed on his face, which I think it'd have to be in pretty small print, but that is <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who work in translation who felt very passionately about this. I had a friend who said she's quoted nearly all of it to co workers.
1: So, so it's a, so it's a very honest essay about what it's like to work not as the sort of upper echelon of literary translators, but as a day to day translator who translates, you know, Official correspondence, uh, statements from governments, statements from NGOs, and in this author's case in particular, art texts, and she really goes to town on yes, art she's, writing.
0: She's previously written um, a, a piece for LitHub on on translating for NGOs, which was also fantastic. Uh, this is, of course, um, more fun in the you know satirical sense as well, where you really get to just kind of. Skewer some of the texts that you work with.
1: Well, it's I mean it's really it's it's really well written. And and the thing is that she says at the beginning that she got into translation because she's actually interested in writing. She's a writer, but she needed a day job, and so she had this idea that working as a freelance translator would allow her to have the time to pursue writing, but it's actually this sort of devil's bargain where the freelance translation work takes up a huge amount of your time. And not only that, sort of in working endlessly with bad texts, the thing you love the most (laughs) is sort of the principles you hold the dearest are sort of constantly offended (laughs) by the work you're doing.
0: Yeah, no, one of the paragraphs that I really... Related to in in that way that when you read something you feel as if maybe you wrote it while you were asleep and suddenly here you are seeing your own you know inner persona in front of you is that you know I she wanted to find something that fit her very narrow skill set and I I sort of feel that way about myself like what do I, what can I do I can do some things with words and I can do some other things with words and I can do some things editing words. Um, And so, yes, you end up, I think, maybe even for the most part, uh, working with words that you're not that enthusiastic about. But, you know, she has she did find, um, you know, ways to celebrate it as well. Yeah. Yeah. She said (laughs) it's not so bad. I just have to understand it on its own terms. And in the end, she sort of likens it to a hate fuck, which has some redeeming characteristics.
1: I mean, I think that's funny. I'm not sure if <laughs> I'm not sure if we're meant to take it seriously. She sounds <laughs> like she's saying, you know, no, really I, there is something I like about well, this. Well, she did but- transmogrify it
0: into this essay. So there is something that she got out of it.
1: Right? Which I mean, the other thing that's great is people are so rarely I think this honest about, um, their work, about the sort of constraints that push them into doing one thing or another. Um, where, you know, everyone is in this, everyone, everyone who's working, I think people related so much to this sort of discussion of freelance work, um, no matter what field they're in. And, but usually you're not this honest about how little you like doing it because you're constantly on the market sort of pretending that, You know, you do like doing it, not just for your clients, but also for other people. Like, it's sort of embarrassing to say that the work you're doing does not give you much pleasure. And so I think we all sort of, you know. Right.
0: I saw maybe five essays on translation around, you know, circulating Twitter around the same time that I found this one. And they were all very vaunted and discussions about the nature of translation and how important it is as a field and the decisions that you make
1: right i mean this also had me at the first paragraph because in one paragraph she just sort of lays out exactly that this sort of like very you know kind of pretentious kind of self-important um way that translators sometimes present their work, which is not to say I uh, I appreciate lit- the craft of literary translation, the art of it immensely. I think, you know, it, it is a very difficult thing to do. And it gives it's a gift you're, when you can bring a text into another language, like it's a gift I've benefited from, I, I really, really appreciate it. But it's true that you do sort of, it seems like translation itself is becoming institutionalized as an academic field. I think more than it was before. And part of that is like a lot of discussion, a very theoretical discussion around the translation process itself. That seems mostly designed to like valid self-validating kind of Mm -hmm. the importance of what people are doing and like, you know, yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot of sort of grant
0: application language that happens around it as well right? with this kind of particularly between languages like Arabic and English with this kind of it's building bridges between cultures and then what you're actually doing in the day to day is you know dragging some terrible words and trying to render them into some probably slightly less terrible words
1: yeah and it's not that every I mean it should be something ideally especially if you're talking about literature which she's not here um, I mean it's a uh, Anyway, the work tends to make claims for itself. I think also, like you say, you have to to justify why this book deserves to be translated, right, by me. So that sort of, like, incentivizes you to, like, make a lot of claims, which is the same thing with art text. Right, the way she talks about
0: how one must other one's project in order to you know, bid for attention in this public sphere.
1: Yeah, I had not thought quite in the same way about the fact that like it's the marketplace and the marketplace for attention that produces so much like poor language and poor writing because basically people are trying to bolster their projects endlessly through like pages and pages of kind of, you know, uh, verbiage, that 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 surrounds the project or surrounds the artwork and kind of and kind of tries to place it, you know, push it upwards. Um, I mean, I think that the hate of art text that she like delves into here is so widely shared. That's probably like another reason that people absolutely enjoy that essay. It is the
0: least my least favorite my the the kind of text that I've struggled with the most. And I didn't ever deal with art text for money because I would not I. I was so unsuccessful i helped a friend who happens to be an egyptian uh, very accomplished egyptian painter to badly craft some art text and it it, also the things that they're asking for the things the way that they're framing it is Mm. already sort of tell us why you as an arab woman um you know uh, what does that have to do with your art well I, i don't know
1: Yeah, I mean, the same way, you know, I think recently we sort of said that editors are, like, more responsible for bad articles than, like, the reporters who write them. Like, I wonder if curators aren't the people who, like, really need to be blamed for this trend. The artist is just responding to what seems to be now, like widespread demand i mean like if you write a novel they don't then ask you to produce a like a piece, piece of, of art yes. about right. why you're not like why can't the i mean i will say okay so cont- there's there's a certain amount of contemporary art um there's a certain amount of contemporary art that does not work without some contextualization um but i find you know being told being told things about like how a work was made and where and sort of what its the different formal elements of it you know mean or sort of refer to or whatever is different that's really useful that can be really interesting that can be enriching right but it's these texts that really don't say anything that right and it's these are the texts that are required
0: i uh, speaking only for my friend i know that she dreads these texts And, you know, feels that well. after I, for instance, write something, nobody asks me to paint a picture about it, to explain it or make a song about it. So why does she ever have to put pen into paper and write anything?
1: Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it it is it is it is remarkable as as someone who does, you know, I feel like my limited skill set is basically very much being a good reader and being a fairly good writer like i have these texts for the most part drive me insane right they're they are really badly written often um and i like the idea that the translation puts a bad text to the test Mm. that it like makes it evident how and why it's bad because when you actually have to sort of break it down and reconstitute it, then it then there's like no subterfuge, like to the translator, it becomes completely obvious,
0: right? Yeah, I know, you can read a piece of, for instance, bad literary criticism, uh, that makes a lot of sound and fury without any meaning. And as long as you're sort of skimming over the words, you know, they're the words, they made some sense, you move on. But if you have to then sit down and say, what,
1: what on earth did they actually mean by that? Because translation is the ultimate close reading. Yeah. Like, if you're going to translate something, you're going to read it more attentively than, like, any, you know, any other. Because you then become responsible for. Right. Deciding what it means, right? I liked also when she mentioned like people who were really upset with the translations, like they thought they weren't right. well translated, and then she'd send them back like exact sort of like you know, you know, he, here's exactly you know, here's the correspondence of this word to this word and this structure to structure, and then they'd be like, oh yeah, well you know, English is just an ugly language, I yes. guess, and it doesn't render the beauty of my original prose. Yes, that was that was fantastic, and I'm sure that's happened to her more than once. I admire how honest she is. I mean, it feels like this is a a daring thing to do because she talks about her clients and, you know, and 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 it's sort of like uh, and it and it's and it's very honest also personally because she talks about I what I, I found quite touching when she says that Part of her frustration is like, how dare these people write this badly when I don't get the chance to write nearly as much as I'd like to. And that was
0: very right. And how do the people have the confidence to write badly when I don't have the confidence to Lena is, of course, a very talented writer, obviously. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, And a lot of it comes down to who has the money. So there are a number of Arab novelists out there who 've written a book, um, probably French novelists as well, who can pay themselves to have the the whole book translated so you know in in a, in a literary sense as she as she mentions uh, sometimes it 's just because you have a lot of money you can get your book translated mm-hmm. so Lena, on the other hand, is trying to buy her own time by um, as many of us are you know if i work 60 hours then can i buy uh 10 hours next week to work on my own
1: project yeah those constraints are very hard to free yourself from i mean i think it's easier when you're younger maybe and then i think there's this something that is hard to quantify there are people who do take the complete gamble whether they have resources or not and uh, you know and, well i think yeah succeed, that requires who say i confidence. am a writer yeah. i am an artist yeah. i can't be anything else this is what i'm going to do and uh it's not just a question of whether they're because some of those people are not well off it's not really that they can afford right, to do yeah. it more than others right
0: yeah uh, well I think, you know, certainly, I think Lena should just <laughs> throw all caution to the wind. But yeah, no, there's a certain element of what if it doesn't go well? Well, of
1: course, of course there is. Then I do mean, you there's a certain element of that to doing anything that you are very excited about doing, I think. Yes right? I mean, isn't fear kind of inextricable from doing anything that you're like, really want to see succeed?
0: Yeah, right. What's the downside? Of course, Lena could go back to translating bad art texts,
1: if it doesn't work out. Well, I mean, listen, I think it's also it's an individual mystery when and how and for how long any one of us can, you know, take that risk. It's a lonely thing. Mm you know, it's, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people sit down and are like, all I'm going to do is write a book. (laughs) Like it's, you know,
0: yeah, no, I find myself sort of in an addictive sense needing that sort of, okay, well I've completed this one 2000 word article. It's done. I've done a thing. It's published. Right. Now I have the validation and the cash and everything.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 financial security and then I think there's also yes, having a job, having an identity as opposed to like being like I'm a writer but not yet cuz I haven't published anything. I mean, you know, that's that's a difficult place to occupy and people sometimes occupy it for years. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I yeah, I was just thinking I had those the uh, partner of a friend of mine just recently completed a novel he's in in France I think and he, he um he had some luck also in in his connections but he it seems like it's going to be published he worked on it for I want to say three or four years like basically that was the wow. main thing he did it's like a giant crime story
0: wow I know yeah no I I would not. I don't have that kind of self-confidence. I mean, maybe I don't deserve that kind of self-confidence, but I definitely don't have it.
1: Yeah, I think it's... I don't know. But then who knows? It just comes to people at certain times. They feel like they really want to do something. I also think what this essay made me think about, too, was like what a joy it is on the opposite end to translate something that's really beautiful writing. Yes. Right? Because that, I think, does feel... I mean... Creative to an equal degree as writing may, um and 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 fulfilling and you know
0: yeah, no it, it you, and then you get to spend time with not only a text that you love but some you know characters you love, a person the the sort of one thing that I translated that I really loved, I also felt like I was spending time with the author that I loved, and that it was yeah an entirely joyous experience, which I, so that I haven't published either. I spent a long time, not, not three or four years, obviously, but I spent a good deal of time on it to, to no end. But, but I
1: but I do feel like I learned something from it, and I enjoyed my time, so... Maybe it's a bit like writing a novel that doesn't get published. I don't think people necessarily regret it. Like, p- perhaps, you know, right. I mean, if you've done work that you really love, you can be upset that it doesn't get to mm. see, but I don't think you regret having done it. No, I only feel th- guilty that I sort of suggested to the author that it might be published and then... Well, that didn't hardly, manage, to <laughs> manage to make it happen. Well, but it might, you know, these things, you have to think in the long term, things, you know. It's right. A, it, it's the story when I'm of 80 or something. I mean, the story of a book is not <laughs> over, you know, in the first couple of years after after it gets published. Right. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, we can talk about this. <laughs> we can talk about this off the air, but now we'll come up with a plan to get this out. Damn it. <laughs> And then I was thinking about, well, you know, I've translated a few, not much, but like, you know, work a day kind of stuff, like, as, as mostly as a favor for friends, like short things. I saw you translating for Kenza before. Right. So there's this publishing house here that's run by a friend and they, and just their sort of, you know, their little synopsis of the books and things like that. So from into English, from, from French I can do. Um, uh, and I find it... I mean, because, you know, I I do find it just work, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: and I've done like one time I did like a long translation of a report Um, and I do, yeah, I don't, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Like I'm happy to do it and this is straightforward stuff and it's interesting and it's my friends and so, you know, that's absolutely fine. But in terms of like work I'm attracted to, it's the same reason that I'm not actually very interested in like editing other people's work. Is it in the end? Like, I really only care about my own writing, like other people's writing. And, and sometimes I get, you know, I've taught and I get excited about my students' work. Like, if they've gotten something that's good and well written, I'm like really mm-hmm. pleased. And I think I give fairly good editorial notes and stuff, but it's not where I would want to be spending most of my energy. I, I I just you know that step that a lot of reporters make where they go from being a reporter to being an editor and I have edited at some publications and I like I find the you know the process of helping another person make their writing really good I do enjoy but I find the process of making my own writing more compelling yeah that you know, you know some, but it's some certainly people, more fun yeah but some people are born editors like I've worked with editors where I think they love editing. The way I love writing. like they really
0: right well, I, so I thing. saw something on on Twitter the other day that kind of I wrote about ten responses to it, and I erased them all, and it was a writer saying, "Good use of time <laughs> well, I could have, probably could have written a novel in that time, yeah, exactly. Um, what well, was a writer saying that um, young writers, the mistake they make is focusing too much on themselves and they should be supporting. And promoting other members of the writing community. And that's how you get ahead is by promoting other people's writing. What? And I thought, well, that's what I've done. And no, definitely it's not. But I didn't want to say, you were young writers. You should be more selfish, actually. Um, so then I
1: just didn't know what I wanted to say. But, I mean, it's not your job as a writer to promote other people. Like, that's not really where you need to be focused. I think it's, I think it's generally speaking, in life, it's good to be like... Uh, a sort of kind collegial person in any field. I mean, I I don't think this whole idea that it's like fine to be an asshole because you're an artist or a writer and that, you know, that justifies a certain ruthlessness, I, I don't think... I don't think, in fact, it's been the key element to any of these people's success, right? really. Like, you know, these, it, you either... But well, it doesn't make your writing any better, that's for no, sure. No, exactly. So it's not. It's neither here nor there. I think it's, it's it, you know, why not have you know pleasant relations with people if you can? It may be that as a writer, you don't want to hang out all the time with other writers because they may be a bit fraught. I don't know. Right. But <laughs> it's weird, I think, to suggest that your focus should be anything other than... I mean, if he's saying, like, your books shouldn't just be about you, like, in the sense of, like, really autobiographical or something. No, the 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 suggestion
0: was your Twitter timeline, for instance, should not be about your work. It should be about other people's work. That you should be putting your focus in – you should be
1: putting more emphasis and more effort into promoting other people's writing. So bizarre. I would agree to the extent that I think if I was following a writer and all they were talking about was their own writing, sure. I would find that boring. But if they're going to talk about other writers, I would rather not that they promote other, why don't they tell me who they're reading? Like, sure, quote me some great writers, like because all, you know, if you're if you're writing, you're reading first of all. Um, but if it if it was also just a feed of like all the other writers of their generation, that they thought were great, and they were sort of boosting each other. That also sounds boring.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I just, I, I felt like as somebody who has focused a lot on boosting other people's work, yeah. I just know it doesn't get you it, It's fine. It, it's it's a thing you can do with your time. I don't regret it, but it certainly doesn't help you with your own writing in any way, shape, or form. And no. nobody's gonna nobody's gonna turn around and. Promote you because you said something nice about them.
1: Well, but because the first thing you have to do is have writing, like be writing, (laughs) right? Like you know, I mean, to the extent that sure, maybe there's a bit of you know fellow novelists who like each other, maybe say a few nice things about each other. But you know, the the only thing that matters is what you've written.
0: Yes, no. If I had a piece in the Paris Review, I'm pretty sure Lena would spend a lot of time talking about it. Um, but I don't. So she can't.
1: Right. But, <laughs> but although the reason that we're talking about Lena's piece, I don't know her. Like, you... you Lena uh, is a friend of mine. Sorry. Full disclosure. But that's not the reason that, that we're talking about this piece. No. Like, I, she's not a friend of mine. I've never met her. This piece is really good. It's like... Yes, it is
0: fantastic. Yeah. And, I, I just experienced this sort of sense of, I mean, there's like sometimes somebody writes something and it's really good and you like maybe don't like them personally or whatever. You don't feel that or you feel jealous. This is like the sweet spot for me. Right. Of I adore Lena and I adore this piece. Right. So I almost feel like I could have written it myself. I don't care.
1: Yeah. No, that's nice. That's true. That's true. It's different when you, but see, this is why I think it's good to not know anybody. It's this probably my, good to not know anybody. This is my model, but <laughs> that's my It's like I, I, I prefer to really know none of the people who's writing I'm, <laughs> you know, focused on. Like, it's liberating one way or the other. Okay, but Lena's a really fun person to hang All around. Right. Well, yeah, I know. That's my loss, it seems like. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> So speaking of hanging around with fun right. people, you were recently at something that sounded really fun. This. I was at the Shebek Festival in London, and
0: it was really fun because, <laughs> because I got to hang out with uh, a lot of writers who I enjoy. And then particularly, I crashed in on uh, Dean Mohammed and Ruqayya Azadeen, who had a, a hotel room close to the place that we had dinner with uh, after the event, and um, stayed up with Dina until some awful time in the morning. And, uh, and then I got to see uh, other, you know, writer friends at this big event. And I had never met. Now I know Dina Muhammad as well. So now I'm, again, crippled by knowing a writer, but
1: It's okay. You manage it. I I wouldn't. It stresses me out slightly. Um, I mean, I had I had mixed feelings about the festival itself.
0: So, it's a a festival that takes place every two years, and uh, it, it focuses on a lot of different artistic forms. So, the writing, the literary day, there were some there were a handful of literature events that happened during the festival, not on the on the one Sunday where it's noon to 7 p.m. or whatever it is, it's a full day of events. Um, but for the most part, the literature takes place on one day at the British Library. And then the rest of it is art installations and some new theater events, uh, which I heard were, I heard there was an amazing Majnun Leila production
1: and it's all... What's the tagline? I mean, is it so? Quebec, your window on the Arab
0: world, something oh, like that. Oh, something like that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm making that up, but I'm pretty sure it's, that's in the zone.
1: Okay, so it's like a showcase of... And it's from any Arabic language country? Yes. Okay. From any
0: Arabophone country, and uh, it's, I think it's meant to be... So there's film and theater and visual art and dance and music and i think it's meant to be cutting edge stuff and it's you buy tickets right yes it is a pay event so i didn't personally buy tickets but that's the idea um you could i think you get half day or a full day of the literature day and then each each individual theater maybe there's a way to get a pass i didn't look into that cuz it takes place over 2 weeks so i wasn't going to stay in london for 2 okay. weeks okay um but the events were not cheap.
1: I noticed that, yeah, but I guess it shows that there's a demand for it, but it does make it slightly different than an event that was like open to the public, kind of. Right,
0: this was definitely not, and there were a sufficient number of people who came to the literary day. I, I mean, I enough to surprise me, I guess maybe these sorts of events don't happen a lot. Of course, there were a number of high-profile authors who don't often come to to London. Um, you know, but to pay a significant fee to sit in a chair and listen to authors talk is different from paying to go see a film or a
1: Right.
0: I mean to me anyway.
1: Yeah, no, to me too. As much as I lo- <laughs> As
0: much as <laughs> I love books. Well, I would you know, I def I did pay money for the books on display outside. So right. you know, that is the way that I'm willing to interact with an author and give them money. So who were, like, the most famous people there? Well, Leila Slimani was supposed to be there at the first panel in the morning, and I think some people did come and buy tickets expecting to see her. So
1: this is the French-Moroccan author who won the Prix Goncourt, uh, like, I don't know, a, not the last, like, a year or two ago. The years go by so know, fast. Three years ago. P- probably.
0: And, and her book did have actually quite a lot of commercial su-
1: success in English as well right. as lullaby right yeah I bet people came to see her I mean she's like a media star in France and I don't know what her profile is but um, it, it, it was a bestseller in English yeah I, I saw
0: some breakdown of the sales of translations and you know most of the sales of all translated books into in English was just a handful of books and that that was one of the big ones but she didn't show she did not uh she was apparently ill so she uh. didn't come and so the first panel was Dina Mohammed which people should have come for Dina and Badre El Bashir who's a uh, a very talented and interesting saudi novelist and so who were and then the, the last panel had a number of international prize for arabic fiction winners this was in part sponsored by the Abu Dhabi Tourism Authority, mm-hmm. um, so I imagine that this is why there was an emphasis on the um, IPAF winners. It had uh, Inam um, Kajaji, the uh, uh, Iraqi novelist, um, Rabai Al-Mudhun, a uh, Palestinian novelist who's won the International Prize for Arabic Fiction, Hamur Diada, who's a Sudanese novelist who won the nagib Mahfouz Award and has been... Shortlisted for the iPAF and then Rukaya was on the panel as well so that was um, that was the last panel of the evening, and that I think was the uh the, the I think that you know they bookended their biggest writers in the in the morning and the evening ones
1: so what were your what were the highlights or what were your takeaways
0: um for me, the highlight was the last panel the although it ended so quick i mean to have Four people on a panel with also re- each of them reading from their work. Uh, it was over so quickly that I really felt like we were just getting going in the discussion about the historical novel because they did all have different reasons why they'd chosen to write historical novels and different ways in which they thought historical novels functioned. And Hamur Zieda was, I really enjoyed him because he kept, you know, everybody else had like a reason. I'm, you know, I'm passing on Iraqi art and cultural history when so much what we talk about is war and i'm you know i'm rabia Madhoon was extremely passionate about uh, telling uh, palestinian history and Rukaya, of course um about about telling history and hamur ziyad was like i was raised by my grandma so basically i know a lot of old stories and i just <laughs> like them
1: so I <laughs> I kind of di- I kind of di- I kind of dig that kind of <laughs> of explanation of one's work of non-explanation of one's work. Yes. So he was sort of
0: the I don't know, like poking at everything, I really um I really enjoyed his presence there. So to me the the most fun panel was was the last one. Um also there were some choices made about there were some choices that, in the ideal literary event in, in my head, I would not have made. The panel that Dima Wanous, or it was just Dima Wanous, the Syrian novelist, um, who's Sadala Wanous' daughter, uh, uh, who talked about her novel, The Frightened. So the person who was doing the questioning, the moderator, uh, was not an Arabic speaker. So she would ask the question and then... Dima would respond in Arabic, and then a translator would translate it, sort of, you know, sort of as best she could-ish mm. into English. And this was a this was a much bigger issue at the first panel, which was a contentious panel. But this for this, it it seemed like Dima was just kind of giving a little bit of canned responses, like she had the questions, and she was give, giving a response, and then you're getting. A slightly lesser response in the English
1: Um, so it didn't feel spontaneous and it didn't feel very graceful
0: right I would have I I think I mean I don't know what the cost of this if
1: the headphones is or just have someone who well if the person answering if the person posing the questions also spoke Arabic then they could hear the original response
0: right and it could be more spontaneous probably right so the first panel was the most contentious, and that's the one. I On think, what? What was the focus? Well, okay, so the first, most of the panels were, say, more identity-oriented. The first panel was like something feminism, something women, next wave feminism, something like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it it would have been sort of a grab bag of women writers, Leila Slimani, Badre el and Dina Mohammed, who's an Egyptian graphic novelist, and all of them doing fairly different things. And it became a little bit of an interrogation of how good a feminist are you? And through the questioning both from the moderator and the audience, Badre el was pushed a little bit in, to sort of say something bad about Mohammed bin Salman, um, pushed on some of... So she has a very different personality in her novels versus her newspaper columns. And we we weren't talking about her writing at all. Um, Mm. We were talking about sort of her political views. And while Dina felt comfortable sort of going on an Amrwarda rant, which was pretty entertaining, Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, being out there about her views to an extent um, you know critiquing Suzanne Mubarak feminism and but that is in a sort of smaller box I think and and in any case I didn't come I don't know about anybody else I wanted to hear about their work you know I I like Padre's novels I'd right. like to hear about her novels um, I'd like to hear about whatever her creative process her inspirations what what she's reading um, I don't know, anything like
1: that, something literary. It is hard when you, it's like, it's sort of the obvious question to ask a writer. I feel like identity questions. And especially if you haven't read the person's work, it's almost the only thing you have right. to talk about with them. And But it's also kind of like, I think, it's just, it's an easy focus in a way. And I mean, I imagine it's hard to make these kinds of talks really like click. You need really good moderators, I Lela, would guess. The
0: last moderator was Leila Khalili, um, who's a professor of political science at SOAS. Yeah. But I feel confident that she read at least one novel by each of the people on the panel and that she was asking real questions and that she really was interested in it. And if she wasn't, and if she didn't read any of it, then she bullshitted me well enough that it doesn't matter. It
1: doesn't matter at all, yeah.
0: Um, but I really felt like she fully engaged them as writers yeah. in their novelistic projects.
1: I mean, because I think even... I'm thinking about, like, the process when you go and, like, interview a writer, say. Right. And, like, you don't kind of... I find that after sort of hit and miss, just just, just doing it for, you know, and probably doing it poorly in the beginning, that that if you start by talking in detail about the work... Other interesting things come out. Right. But if you sort of lead with. I think so, who are you and what's your position on. Feminism. B, (laughs) A, whatever, yeah. Then one, it's like it's not fun for them. It's sort of right. It's not a that's not it's not a conversation like, and it it's not nuanced. I think. I mean, I think what's nice is if these things sort of come up more organically in the conversation. And if there's some big thing that it would be really weird not to ask them about, then at some point. But also once they've gotten a bit more comfortable, and once you've talked about again right. Right. their work, then I think it makes sense to to raise. Um, but it's like there's certain yeah, I'm not kind of suggesting questions you can't confront Badreya about whatever. whatever. But you also want to ask a question that will give you an interesting answer. So you have to think about what's an app like. And it just happens in real time. Like there's just there's just dead ends, and so you need to have. Other avenues of approaching someone um.
0: yes, and and so the second panel was queer authors, and it was very much framed around that these are queer authors and and so it became a discussion about. Being Arab and queer, more or less, okay. rather than about their writerly projects or how they create queer characters,
1: or and do they all have they, they all written books that feature like is the is the subject matter of their writing being gay or queer in the Arab world? Um, for for two of them it was. Uh, for one of them, no. Uh, I mean, I. I it's possible there was... Also, an- you can open that subject. You could talk about sort of like writing about any form of marginalization. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying like you need to sort of like m- euphemistically sort of like put it in some bigger picture and not talk about the specifics of the situation. But but I assume that there are more... And also like, come on, it's not just... Queer people who write queer stories, or women who write about women, or who have something to say about women—like, right. don't you? Th- I think there should be a conversation about, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, m- you know, reflections of the Me Too sort of reverberations of Me Too in the Arab region. There should be a panel with men and women. Yes, that would talking about that. That would be right. in- that would be interesting. Or we could have Just- talked also about bad queer depictions in arabic novels sure, too sure sure or sexuality generally yeah. that could be kind of very broad like there's so many there's so much writing about sex in different forms and sexual identity and sexual discrimination um i think it's nice to make connections that aren't uh, right Obvious, right? Maybe, um, but anyway, I'm having a lot of opinions about an event that, that, <laughs> that you didn't attend. attend? <laughs> That's okay. The best, the easiest, and best kind of opinions <laughs> to have. Yeah. Well, I,
0: I feel, felt there were a lot of missed opportunities at, at the event with so many talented people around uh, to make these kind of yes cross uh, connections. Unexpected to talk about things that are unexpected that the audience would feel like some kind of aha moment this is what I really enjoy about Mm. literary events is when somehow two writers or two topics that I didn't think right that's why I enjoyed the historical novel um panel I think because they yes it was all historical novel which is a pretty broad category things set in the past um but they had different reasons they they disagreed with each other in productive and interesting ways hmm um I just, you know, with everybody reading and then trying to have a discussion, too, it was pretty over, like, I blinked and it was done.
1: No, I mean, ideally, if you, like, what's nice is when you see one of these staged conversations, but where something happens that surprises the participants themselves. Right. Right? And the audience, like because it's a weird performance to sort of get up in front of a bunch of people and, like, have these conversations in in these formats. So what really is exciting is that's why the kind of speakers who, like, don't care too much about what they say and kind of let loose are always such a pleasure because you do get kind of the feeling that just a conversation is happening in front of you. Um, Yeah,
0: I somehow saw one that I really enjoyed – even though the moderator—it was Ben Okri—at the uh, the most recent Abu Dhabi Literature Festival, and the the moderator had—I uh, remember very distinctly that the moderator had asked him at one point about the magical realism in his novel, and that Ben turned to him and said, "I told you last time we did one of these events. There's no magical realism in my novel." <laughs> but then you know, the, right. it went on to be like a really. Fun discussion. There were some great questions from the audience as well, uh, and he was like, I think Ben Oakley was willing to be
1: genuine up there on
0: the stage.
1: I think probably it gets easier to do the more often you do them too. I mean, for some people, it must be nerve wracking. Sure, you know, not everyone enjoys like getting up in front of a, an, an audience and talking like this. So
0: right, and you know, Dina did talk even during her presentation about threading the needle of what she wanted to say about egypt not in egypt because right one can get in trouble with that. For like sneezing these
1: days. Right. For saying you don't like to drink. For running a dirty water for, for running a nostalgic Mubarak Facebook page. Right. Like yes. now, you know, you can't do you can't be an Islamist, you can't be a leftist, you can't even be like a filul, an old regime Right. nostalgic. Like all of these politics are not allowed. So yeah, yeah. Um well thanks for that uh that dispatch from Schumbeck. <laughs> and um I think we should probably talk a little bit about we should give a sort of dispatch from Bulak. Yes, about um the our plans for it over the summer which which are basically to take a bit of a break.
0: Yes, and then come back in a new and different format. Well not too new. Okay, not very new. It'll oh, be pretty much the same. But <laughs>
1: I just don't make, I'm (laughs) the the conservative one on this. I'm always like, no, 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 don't, don't promise anything. Um, so we're, so, whereas I'm like, I'm going to have six magazines out next week. Right. You are very sanguine, (laughs) um, but you have follow through. See, I, 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 I know myself. Um, so we're, so, so my office is currently, half packed up because I'm moving I'm leaving Morocco my family and I and moving to Jordan which is very distressing um yeah I mean it's kind of distressing to me too because I really like Morocco but we're, we're we're excited we're looking forward to things in Amman too and and we're looking forward to being um closer to Cairo and to Beirut and to old friends and to all sorts of things um but yeah it's going to be like a tough goodbye to Morocco and to you, but not so. So our plan is to keep on doing the podcast as a long-distance phone call, spanning yes. yes from one edge of North Africa to the Middle East. we will literally almost be like encompassing the region. The region. <laughs> so so we that's will the idea. Be building bridges. Uh, oh gosh, yeah, we could we could write, <laughs> we, we could write we could write quite a grant proposal. Yes. But, um and so but but this will be in September. So we're gonna take a break. Mm-hmm. Um and uh we will probably put up like a maybe a little survey on the podcast page. Anyway, we'll, you know, share that on Twitter. There's a few questions, there's a little bit of feedback that'd be nice to get from listeners yes. so far. Um before we make our gigantic splash fullock two point oh Oh, um, and yeah, so, I mean, so we're we're pretty, you know, hopeful that we can, that we can keep it going because I think we've both enjoyed doing it quite a bit, um, and, but I've been, ch- I've been thinking, so we've done 36 episodes. Yes. Do you remember when we started? I think it was November, 2017. So we've done, like, we're coming up on two years. hmm Um and i was trying to think about what sort of has gone as i expected or has been different or or you know has been the most interesting thing about doing this um i mean i do, do you have some thoughts should i go first you can go first <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think for me what was interesting was that it's so different to well so i talk about books all the time but I don't have to hear myself afterwards. (laughs) Like, do you listen to it after or do not? I sometimes
0: listen to it, but I often do not listen to it. So
1: I have to listen to it because I produce it. So I I, I listen to it. Um, Yeah, so you just get to do it. It's like (laughs) message in a bottle, (laughs) drop (laughs) the mic. (laughs) Bye. Um, And although I do take the brunt of the feedback, at least that's true. That's true. You are definitely our online interface, and occasionally people
0: dislike our podcast.
1: Who? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no. So, you, but you also get uh, you get all the nice things that people say. Too, yes, right? I also get the nice things. See, I don't. I don't hear any of the. Fe- I don't usually no if there's been any reaction to anything because i'm less 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 online than you are um so but so what's interesting is to hear yourself talk about literature right so it's I mean, I'm used to writing about it where you have so much more control and you really agonize over everything you're going to say and you have a lot of time to formulate your thoughts. Um I definitely have had the experience where
0: I walk away and I feel like I don't agree with myself anymore.
1: <laughs> but don't you so I have had that too or in the sense that I often feel like if I have an argument or I have a conversation it takes me a while to decide if I've changed my point of view. Right. Right. So, so I've had that where like, I don't know if I've changed it completely, but certainly like things that the the few, the rare times is we don't actually disagree that often, but it's like percolated afterwards. Mm -hmm. Right. But also like I've had so many where we finish and we record and we finish recording. And then, and then I think to myself, you know, I forgot to say the main thing that I meant to say, (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, right. <laughs> that's almost always yes. Yeah, and or me like oh that that I named the wrong publisher. That was the
1: wrong translator. That was not the year the book came out. Right. I I mean I have a small phobia about like getting people's names wrong. So oh I did. Okay, so
0: I definitely saw that. Larry Price uh-huh. changed her bio Twitter bio after our episode where I said her name was Leroy Price. Uh huh. She, Larry, to the, to the she changed it. her. Twitter. She says, it. oh, no, it wasn't you. Lots of people
1: say it wrong. Sure. Right after uh, the episode came out, she just happened to. So one way, but one of the effects of my own fear of mispronouncing people's names is that when I have to do the painful process of listening to the podcast, I get to hear myself. My vocal intonation always go up <laughs> in a really questioning way whenever I mention anybody's name. So I'm always like, it's such and such by so right? <laughs> like, and so right like I mean so I, I have to actually sift through all of our like verbal ticks the number of times that I say like uh, the ums and the, uh, all that uh. stuff but I'll I'll say this sometimes though, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'll go back and I'll listen to it, and sometimes, I'll, and I'll, well, to be honest, I'm hard on myself. <laughs> I really am. I mean, I, and I think you are kind of too. I think we're pretty. I am. That's why I'd I find think, it terrifying to kind of listen back. Well, you'd be surprised. And first of all, I take out most of the likes and the ums and stuff. You know, okay. so so it's you know that there's a bit of post production. It's minimal, but there's a little bit of it. And uh, sometimes I'm, you know, I think, oh, this is, this is an interesting conversation. And then sometimes other people say very kind things about it. I think for me, what's been exciting about it is exactly not knowing how it's going to go. And that was a sort of new thing. It's very unfamiliar to me to sort of speak extemporaneously is not an area. I right. Mean,
0: well, we talked about producing them more or having segments that were produced more. Right. But ultimately, yeah, the fun part is sort of having a conversation and throwing stuff not against the wall, but sort of against each other. Yeah. I did so uh, we recently had Rukea Azadin as a as a guest on the on the podcast. And then I heard her again at Shebek, and I had to listen to the tape again in order to make sure that the quotes and such that I had typed in were correct. And I heard sort of how she speaks very thoughtfully, and I really thought, I'm going to try and do that next time. I'm going to speak slowly and thoughtfully and carefully
1: say what I want to say,
0: but I guess that's not me.
1: I think you say what you want to say pretty clearly and thoughtfully, but
0: it do kind of jump on you a lot, like, wait, I've got something now. I can't wait. For I don't think seconds. that's bad. I don't
1: think that's bad at all. I, I think, um, so. I mean, the parts that I struggle with the most is when we're discussing something and I don't know what I think yet. Right. Yeah. And I'm sort of thinking out loud as we're recording, which in retrospect, I'm not always very satisfied with. Right. Because the process of writing,
0: sometimes you write the whole piece and then you're like, no definitely not right you could say
1: that one sentence but that is that's not at all right or what i think or anything and 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 the difference is been, because we've actually some talked about some of the same authors because it's like someone that we are working on or we're doing a piece on and so we'll we've talked we'll, we've talked about it on the podcast and then you go and like write the piece and the difference in you know the I mean, well, for one thing, when you're writing about literature, you you have the text in front of you. So you're constant, you know. It's full of citations. Um, you have tons of time. I usually spend like several days just kind of like thinking about what my arguments are going to be. Right. Uh, We're here. I feel like usually, and then sometimes if we talk about. So if I talk about someone after I've written a piece, I'm a lot more clear yes, on yeah. what my arguments are. If we talk about it before, it's often just kind of impressionistic. I have a feeling. I have an emotion from the book. I have an impression of of my reaction, but I can't articulate it yet or and and back it up, you know, right, right. Well, I so I had one experience
0: uh, when we talked about um, our women on the ground, where you had uh, I had said there was one essay I didn't like at all and I read it saying no, no, no. And you'd asked me which one was it. And suddenly, I felt like, Wait, is this what I want to say? I what? Right. <laughs> um, so you know, this is a sort of decision that you you know you can make very slowly and carefully um, while you're writing, but in the moment, uh, you know, I was
1: like, oh. <laughs> well, we can always cut things out, but we don't do that very often. And I do think, yeah, it's it doesn't reward caution this kind of a format right yes exactly i felt
0: that was the day i felt afterwards why didn't i just say it what's the matter with me
1: but also because you're it's different from a conversation with, you know, one person or a few people or a group of people or a class or an audience, like, you don't know who your audience is. Right. And it's sort of, it's sort of more permanent than a talk or a conversation. Right. So it's this weird in-between Even if state- your talk is being
0: recorded, I never, so I, a million years ago, in 2012, I gave a talk at the AUC. And it was, you know, in Oriental Hall to a certain number of people and it was recorded and it's been on youtube and ever since then people have been watching it uh-huh but it's still it felt spontaneous and i could have said anything because i could see those people in front of me and yeah. i felt like i knew what i could say to that audience in front of me yes i knew it was being recorded but that didn't somehow matter to me whereas this feels different because i really don't know anyone who's who's listening
1: you know people who are listening well, okay <laughs> we're gonna have
0: dinner tonight with someone who's listening <laughs> i know there are people listening and i know
1: who some of them are but but, again, but you don't I'd know see them. of them are yeah. yeah but i find that actually for the most part kind of a plus in the sense that it's more having to listen back to it myself and reprocess mm-hmm. it that can be difficult rather than imagining how other people are going to process it. Like once it's done, I'm usually pretty okay with it's more my own regret of like, why didn't I remember that? Or why didn't I, you know, and, but it, because it's, it's more of a process. It's sort of like, it's, it's uh, the whole conversation adding up. And that's why, you know, you always make mistakes, which you never make in writing. Like, you make factual mistakes. Right. Or you change your mind. Like, I, I also felt, you know, you say one thing at the beginning, and then you think by the end, hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so none of it should be taken too seriously. That's def- that definitely, I think, I think people realize that. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Um, I mean, that we're just having fun.
0: Right. I mean, that is somewhat of my Twitter personality as well. Like, somebody was offended by something that I, it was just a retweet. And they had said, well, I realized that retweet does not mean endorsement, but this is what I thought about it. And I thought, you know, like it was actually like a half a second decision involved
1: in. Yeah, uh, but see, this is what I hate about social media is I, you have to take, there's so many prompts to sort of have a reaction or take a position. And I like agonize over everyone. So I well, I told it hard you I wrote to react. Wrote, I wrote and deleted and wrote and deleted right, the tweet right. ten times and finally I, gave up. On I've, it. I've done that many, many times and then just given up because yeah, it's it seems it, it makes me anxious to in that to be in a conversation in that format. Um, I do at least
0: appreciate when I did used to say things on Facebook, which I don't anymore. That felt somewhat private. And it was definitely not. And I right. sort of learned my lesson about that. Whereas Twitter, I appreciate that there's no illusion that this is just your friends. It's anybody who can search what you've just written about and right. troll you because of some keyword that you tripped over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think one should think of any space online really as private hardly anymore. I, no. I mean, but um so anyway, after breaking the fourth wall this way on <laughs> the right. we can see you. <laughs> um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. It's sort of hard to say yeah. goodbye because we don't know exactly when we're going to talk yes, next. Okay,
0: so I'm a little worried. One of the things that I like about speaking to an audience is that you kind of draw energy from that audience. So I'm going to have to just imagine you in front of me.
1: Although, I don't know about you, but I am old enough that I grew up in high school having the, like, two-hour phone call conversation with your girlfriend on, like, a phone that you pulled into your bedroom. I did have, like, four-hour,
0: six-hour conversations,
1: yeah, which is hard to believe now since I never answer the phone. <laughs> right. So I like talking on the phone. Oh, that's right. Is it going to be an issue for you because you don't like <laughs> talking on the phone? No, no, no. Once, once I get rolling, it's fine. It's answering that I don't like. Because I actually think that sometimes people, not having the person right in front of you actually is even more relaxing. Like you just, you know what I mean? You just okay. chat. All right. Well, we'll see, I guess. Yeah, well, we'll find out. I suppose we could do like Skype or something with a Where video, we see each other? Where we see each
0: other. We could try it out in different ways. You could, you could send us your your, <laughs> we your can suggestions. Ask, we can ask our We could do a listener poll on. We did get a
1: uh, a couple of people
0: who demand that we videotape ourselves doing this. No,
1: you don't understand. That would so not be worth watching in any. <laughs> no. I, I don't understand. There'd be no added value.
0: No, definitely not. I mean, unless we put like it's not actually us, but like
1: pictures of kids right. while we're talking. Right, or right. No, I mean we're in like a very small warm beige room (laughs) and I'm in like workout clothes. (laughs) Like this is not No, it's not no it's not that visually exciting. No, definitely not. But we will maybe ask uh listeners for a few questions and we would ask you, if you've enjoyed the podcast, I would say, to share it with other people, you know, to say so and maybe to say what I'm curious one of the questions I, I would like to ask is, like, what episodes people have liked the most and why? So I can get a sense kind of of what listeners' favorites were.
0: Right. Well, I can tell you what my favorites were. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> um, well, I, I like the ones – I liked Carl. I thought having yeah. Carl on was fun. Um, uh, oh, the one where we talked about the business – Yes, that one was a good one. I think
1: that one yes. worked. Yes, and well. I liked so, so. In fact, I think we had a good recent run. I liked Rukhaya when we had her yes. on a lot. Um, so that's also a question. I was like, should would it be possible for us to have guests on more often? Um, you know, do people enjoy the way we're reading texts, which I do? Right. So the other thing is like, there's certain things that I've already decided. I think are good. But I'm hoping that I'll be...
0: <laughs> you basically like to, to be yes, yes. what so, Ursula already wants
1: to so, hear. So, you know, do you want to keep having, hearing Marcia read, um, as she does in such a lovely uh, way, our, these introductory texts? Um,
0: things like that. And also, I would like to leave a little open-ended, like, what would you like to see? What else do you want to tell us?
1: yeah. No, you can, I think suggestions, you know, actually what would be nice if you want to, if you, the other thing that I think would be great to hear more from listeners is if there are particular texts or books that you'd like to suggest to us, because it's always great to have suggestions, like rather than sort of, you know, searching oneself to have something interesting and, you know, uh, really remarkable thrown your way. Right, is Absolutely. great. So whether it's some of these articles and essays, you know, about literature, about translation, about you know books in one way or in another, or whether it's an, an actual book, I think um, it would be great to get suggestions, and, and we then we'll read them over the summer as well.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, we'll have lots. Well. Ugh
1: that i'm not willing to promise you, you'll Lots you'll have lots, and lots of time of
0: free time over the summer i don't oh, know i
1: don't know either and i'll be living out of a suitcase for about 6 weeks so i can't carry heavy books around but um do send us reading suggestions yeah. because then we'll have lots of material for the fall yes and it it doesn't have to be a love read either
0: I'm willing to do a hate read as well. I'm not. So those are all for you. All right. Okay. Well, it's been lovely to do this here in your house.
1: Yeah, and it really has. Um, And, you know, goodbye for now, but not for too long. Okay. Goodbye. Bye.